0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joshua Christensen. Chapter 14. Advantages American Society Derives from Democracy. Part 2. Respect for the Law in the United States. Respect of the Americans for the Law parental affection which they entertain for it personal interest of every one to increase the authority of the law it is not always feasible to consult the whole people either directly or indirectly in the formation of the law but it cannot be denied that when such a measure is possible the authority of the law is very much augmented this popular origin which impairs the excellence and the wisdom of legislation contributes prodigiously to increase its power. There is an amazing strength in the expression of the determination of a whole people, and when it declares itself the imagination of those who are most inclined to contest it is overawed by its authority. The truth of this fact is very well known by parties, and they consequently strive to make out a majority whenever they can. If they have not the greater number of voters on their side, they assert that the true majority abstained from voting and if they are foiled even there, they have recourse to the body of those persons who had no votes to give. In the United States, except slaves, servants, and paupers in the receipt of relief from the townships, there is no class of persons who do not exercise the elective franchise, and who do not indirectly contribute to make the laws. Those who design to attack the laws must consequently either modify the opinion of the nation, or trample upon its decision." a second reason which is still more weighty may be further adduced in the united states every one is personally interested in enforcing the obedience of the whole community to the law for as the minority may shortly rally the majority to its principles it is interested in professing that respect for the decrees of the legislator which it may soon have occasion to claim for its own however irksome an enactment may be the citizen of the united states complies with it not only because it is the work of the majority but because it originates in his own authority, and he regards it as a contract to which he is himself a party. In the United States, then, that numerous and turbulent multitude does not exist which always looks upon the law as its natural enemy, and accordingly surveys it with fear and with distrust. It is impossible, on the other hand, not to perceive that all classes display the utmost reliance upon the legislation of their country and that they are attached to it by a kind of parental affection. I am wrong, however, in saying all classes, for as in America the European scale of authority is inverted, the wealthy are there placed in a position analogous to that of the poor in the old world, and it is the opulent classes which frequently look upon the law with suspicion. I have already observed that the advantage of democracy is not, as has sometimes been asserted, that it protects the interests of the whole community, but simply that it protects those of the majority. In the United States, where the poor rule, the rich have always some reason to dread the abuses of their power. This natural anxiety of the rich may produce a sullen dissatisfaction, but society is not disturbed by it, for the same reason which induces the rich to withhold their confidence in the legislative authority makes them obey its mandates. Their wealth, which prevents them from making the law, prevents them from withstanding it amongst civilized nations revolts are rarely excited except by such persons as have nothing to lose by them and if the laws of a democracy are not always worthy of respect at least they always obtain it for those who usually infringe the laws have no excuse for not complying with the enactments they have themselves made and by which they are themselves benefited whilst the citizens whose interests might be promoted by the infraction of them are induced by their character and their stations to submit to the decisions of the legislature, whatever they may be. Besides which, the people in America obeys not the law only because it emanates from the popular authority, but because that authority may modify it in any points which may prove vexatory. A law is observed because it is a self-imposed evil in the first place, and an evil of transient duration in the second. Activity which pervades all the branches of the body politic in the United States, Influence, which it exercises upon society. More difficult to conceive the political activity which pervades the United States than the freedom and equality which reign there. The great activity which perpetually agitates the legislative bodies is only an episode to the general activity. Difficult for an American to confine himself to his own business. Political agitation extends to all social intercourse. COMMERCIAL ACTIVITY OF THE AMERICANS PARTLY ATTRIBUTABLE TO THIS CAUSE INDIRECT ADVANTAGES WHICH SOCIETY DERIVES FROM A DEMOCRATIC GOVERNMENT ON PASSING FROM A COUNTRY IN WHICH FREE INSTITUTIONS ARE ESTABLISHED TO ONE WHERE THEY DO NOT EXIST, THE TRAVELER IS STRUCK BY THE CHANGE. IN THE FORMER, ALL IS BUSTLE AND ACTIVITY. IN THE LATTER, EVERYTHING IS CALM AND MOTIONLESS. IN THE ONE, AMELIORATION AND PROGRESS ARE THE GENERAL TOPICS OF INQUIRY. In the other, it seems as if the community only aspired to repose in the enjoyment of the advantages which it has acquired. Nevertheless, the country which exerts itself so strenuously to promote its welfare is generally more wealthy and more prosperous than that which appears to be so contented with its lot, and when we compare them together we can scarcely conceive how so many new wants are daily felt in the former, whilst so few seem to occur in the latter. If this remark is applicable to those free countries in which monarchical and aristocratic institutions subsist, it is still more striking with regard to the democratic republics. In these states it is not only a portion of the people which is busied with the amelioration of its social condition, but the whole community is engaged in the task, and it is not the exigencies and the convenience of a single class for which a provision is to be made, but the exigencies and the convenience of all ranks of life it is not impossible to conceive the surpassing liberty which the americans enjoy some idea may likewise be formed of the extreme equality which subsists among them but the political activity which pervades the united states must be seen in order to be understood no sooner do you set foot upon the american soil than you are stunned by a kind of tumult a confused clamor is heard on every side and a thousand simultaneous voices demand the immediate satisfaction of their social wants everything is in motion around you. Here, the people of one quarter of a town are met to decide upon the building of a church. There, the election of a representative is going on. A little further, the delegates of a district are posting to the town in order to consult upon some local improvements. Or, in another place, the laborers of a village quit their plows to deliberate upon the project of a road or a public school." meetings are called for the sole purpose of declaring their disapprobation of the line of conduct pursued by the government whilst in other assemblies the citizens salute the authorities of the day as the fathers of their country societies are formed which regard drunkenness as the principal cause of the evils under which the state labors and which solemnly bind themselves to give a constant example of temperance the great political agitation of the american legislative bodies which is the only kind of excitement that attracts the attention of foreign countries, is a mere episode or a sort of continuation of that universal movement which originates in the lowest classes of the people and extends successively to all the ranks of society. It is impossible to spend more efforts in the pursuit of enjoyment. The cares of political life engross a most prominent place in the occupation of a citizen in the United States, and almost the only pleasure of which an American has any idea is to take a part in the government and to discuss the part he has taken this feeling pervades the most trifling habits of life even the women frequently attend public meetings and listen to political harangues as a recreation after their household labours debating clubs are to a certain extent a substitute for theatrical entertainments an american cannot converse but he can discuss and when he attempts to talk he falls into a dissertation he speaks to you As if he was addressing a meeting, and if he should chance to warm in the course of the discussion, he will infallibly say, Gentlemen! to the person with whom he is conversing. In some countries the inhabitants display a certain repugnance to avail themselves of the political privileges with which the law invests them. It would seem that they set too high a value upon their time to spend it on the interests of the community, and they prefer to withdraw within the exact limits of a wholesome egotism marked out by four sunk fences and a quickset hedge. But if an American were condemned to confine his activity to his own affairs, he would be robbed of one half of his existence, he would feel an immense void in the life which he is accustomed to lead, and his wretchedness would be unbearable. I am persuaded that if ever a despotic government is established in America, it will find it more difficult to surmount the habits which free institutions have engendered Than to conquer the attachment of the citizens to freedom. This ceaseless agitation which democratic government has introduced into the political world influences all social intercourse. I am not sure that upon the whole this is not the greatest advantage of democracy, and I am much less inclined to applaud it for what it does than for what it causes to be done. It is incontestable that the people frequently conduct public business very ill, but it is impossible that the lower orders should take a part in public business without extending the circle of their ideas, and without quitting the ordinary routine of their mental acquirements. The humblest individual who is called upon to cooperate in the government of society acquires a certain degree of self respect, and as he possesses authority, he can command the services of minds much more enlightened than his own. He is canvassed by a multitude of applicants who seek to deceive him in a thousand different ways, but who instruct him by their deceit. He takes a part in political undertakings which did not originate in his own conception, but which give him a taste for undertakings of the kind. New ameliorations are daily pointed out in the property which he holds in common with others, and this gives him the desire of improving that property which is more peculiarly his own. He is, perhaps, neither happier nor better than those who came before him, but he is better informed and more active. I have no doubt that the democratic institutions of the United States, joined to the physical constitution of the country, are the cause, not the direct, as is so often asserted, but the indirect cause, of the prodigious commercial activity of the inhabitants. It is not engendered by the laws, but the people learn how to promote it by the experience derived from legislation." When the opponents of democracy assert that a single individual performs the duties which he undertakes much better than the government of the community, it appears to me that they are perfectly right. The government of an individual, supposing an equality of instruction on either side, is more consistent, more persevering, and more accurate than that of a multitude, and it is much better qualified judiciously to discriminate the characters of the men it employs." If any deny what I advance, they have certainly never seen a democratic government, or have formed their opinion upon very partial evidence. It is true that even when local circumstances and the disposition of the people allow democratic institutions to subsist, they never display a regular and methodical system of government. Democratic liberty is far from accomplishing all the projects it undertakes with the skill of adroit despotism. It frequently abandons them before they have borne their fruits, or risks them when the consequences may prove dangerous. But, in the end, it produces more than any absolute government, and if it do fewer things well, it does a great number of things. Under its sway, the transactions of the public administration are not nearly so important as what is done by private exertion. Democracy does not confer the most skilful kind of government upon the people, but it produces that which the most skilful governments are frequently unable to awaken, namely, an all-pervading and restless activity, a superabundant force, and an energy which is inseparable from it, and which may, under favorable circumstances, beget the most amazing benefits. These are the true advantages of democracy. In the present age, when the destinies of Christendom seem to be in suspense, some hasten to assail democracy as its foe whilst it is yet in its early growth, and others are ready with their vows of adoration for this new deity which is springing forth from chaos. But both parties are very imperfectly acquainted with the object of their hatred or of their desires. They strike in the dark and distribute their blows by mere chance. We must first understand what the purport of society and the aim of government is held to be. If it be your intention to confer a certain elevation upon the human mind, and to teach it to regard the things of this world with generous feelings, to inspire men with a scorn of mere temporal advantage, to give birth to living convictions, and to keep alive the spirit of honorable devotedness, if you hold it to be a good thing to refine the habits, to embellish the manners, to cultivate the arts of a nation, and to promote the love of poetry, of beauty, and of renown, if you would constitute a people not unfitted to act with power upon all other nations, nor unprepared for those high enterprises which, whatever be the result of its efforts, will leave a name forever famous in time, if you believe such to be the principal object of society, you must avoid the government of democracy, which would be a very uncertain guide to the end you have in view. But if you hold it to be expedient to divert the moral and intellectual activity of man to the production of comfort, and to the acquirement of the necessaries of life, if a clear understanding be more profitable to man than genius, if your object be not to stimulate the virtues of heroism, but to create habits of peace, if you had rather witness vices than crimes, and are content to meet with fewer noble deeds, provided offenses be diminished in the same proportion, if, instead of living in the midst of a brilliant state of society, you are contented to have prosperity around you, in short, you are of opinion that the principal object of a government is not to confer the greatest possible share of power and of glory upon the body of the nation, but to ensure the greatest degree of enjoyment and the least degree of misery to each of the individuals who compose it. If such be your desires, you can have no surer means of satisfying them than by equalizing the conditions of men and establishing democratic institutions. But if the time be past at which such a choice was possible, and if some superhuman power impel us towards one or the other of these two governments without consulting our wishes, let us at least endeavor to make the best of that which is allotted to us, and let us so inquire into its good and its evil propensities as to be able to foster the former and repress the latter to the utmost. End of chapter 14 part 2